0: Welcome to Rising Tide, a podcast for career driven women to find inspiration, find courage, and find their voice.
1: Just start, do one thing. You may not feel ready to do anything. You may not know all the answers, and that's okay. Just do one, make the commitment yes. to do one thing, yes. one step at a time, yes. one step at a time. On
0: today's episode i have the opportunity to sit down with liz bruner best-selling author emmy award-winning journalist executive communications coach podcast host and speaker during liz's distinguished 28-year career in television she served as the co-anchor for the number one rated 6 p.m newscast at abc tv and conducted exclusive one-on-one interviews with prominent figures including sitting president barack obama then one day Liz heard a voice telling her it was time for the next chapter, but what would that be? Over the next two years, Liz would seek out that answer. And in 2013, Liz launched Bruner Communications where she assists high profile individuals and organizations in developing powerful, meaningful and desirable brand identities. But she wasn't done yet. In 2020, her business, which was 95% in person was gone seemingly overnight. But she rose to the challenge, launching Bruner Academy, which provides online courses in public speaking, storytelling, media training, women's leadership, personal development, and more. She also launched Live Your Best Life with the Liz Bruner podcast, where her guests share inspirational stories of recreation, redemption, and transformation. And she authored her first book, Dare to Own You, taking your authenticity and dreams into your next chapter. Wow. On today's episode, Liz shares her learnings from her incredible career of reinvention, starting as a high school music educator and semi-professional singer to Emmy award-winning journalist and now entrepreneur and author. We get into topics like how to distinguish between fear and intuition, the importance of just getting started, how her grandmother's wise words, no knowledge is ever wasted, have shaped her career and so much more. Well, this is a rich conversation with an incredibly brilliant woman. I am so excited to introduce you to Liz. Enjoy. Welcome to Rising Tide, Liz. Oh, it's wonderful to be here with you today, Margaret. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Oh gosh, this is such a treat. I am so excited and I've got to say I've had a couple of people who are in journalism I've had some people who were even in broadcasting but you're the first person I've had on who well one you've had two major career pivots but spent majority of your career in broadcast television you were in major markets in Boston and were the 6 p.m. news anchor like i'm very excited because this is a world that i haven't gotten to spend a lot of time in so i'm really looking forward to sharing your story but also i'm going to be learning <laughs> oh wonderful i'm excited to share whatever you want to know <laughs> yes oh my gosh i I'm so excited because, you know, I think what's been really neat and really interesting about you and you you brought this up in your book that I thought was so cool is that you've kind of come full circle from where you started coming out of school to really the work that you're doing today, where coming out of college, you taught in high school, you taught choral music.
1: I did. I was a high school music teacher. And I did that for a couple of years. And as much as I loved it, I felt there was something more I was supposed to do, although I had absolutely no clue what it was. And I literally left teaching and tried to figure out, okay, well, what do I do next? And this is sort of before the internet, (laughs) where you could Google everything and you could do these assessment tests online. And I would go to the library and send away for things. And I thought maybe I wanted to be a psychologist. I thought maybe I wanted to be an interior decorator or even an architect. But I started reading a book called Who's Hiring Who by Richard Lathrop. He talked about informational interviews, Margaret. I had never heard of such a thing. I bravely and blindly called up two television stations in the city that I was living in at the time, which was Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, called up the NBC affiliate and the CBS affiliate. I had done one television commercial when I was Miss Illinois 1979 in the Miss America scholarship pageant. And I'm very proud of that because that, along with those good old-fashioned student government loans, paid for my education. Right. So bravely, I was asking them, what does it take to get into this business? Did I need to go back to school? Did I need to get another degree? Because mine was in music, not journalism, not English, not communications. I'll fast forward a period of time. A position was literally created for me at the CBS affiliate. And I was the community relations liaison. Doesn't that sound impressive? (laughs)
0: Very, very, very Very
1: impressive, impressive. (laughs) but I knew nothing and I learned everything on the job. It was really my graduate school, if you consider that, and everything they asked me to do, Margaret, I said yes to. We want you to voice these announcements. We want you to write these announcements. We want you to host your own little talk show. Oh, and by the way, we want you now to do the weather. Sure, I'd be happy to. I'd go home and freak out saying, what in the world am I doing? But I took some courses at the University of Illinois in meteorology, and I would watch the Weather Channel before I went in. And we had three women on our weather team. I don't know if there was any other television station in the country that had three women. But again, another great training ground, because when you're doing the weather, there's no script. It's all ad lib. It's all live. So you really have to think on your feet. So yet again, another learning opportunity. Fast forward again, I was there for 3 years, then I got the call to go to Tampa, and I was in Tampa for 5 years and I went there as the director of community relations. I was the only female in upper management. Talk about pushing through the glass ceiling. Pretty scary. And then within a year, they tapped me to be the morning news anchor and oh by the way, you're going to continue to be the director of community relations. I worked 80 hours a week. I was up at two in the morning, at work at three, on the air at five, after the morning meeting in the newsroom, if around 9, 30, 10 o'clock, I'd go upstairs and put my manager's hat on. It's really hard. Mm -hmm. And I did that for five years. And then again, I got another opportunity to come to Boston. And Boston at that time was the fifth largest market in the country. So I went from the 75th to the 13th to the fifth market in the country. And I went for our news magazine show Chronicle, which was fantastic. It's still on the air. It's an award-winning show. And then again, Within a year, the news department tapped me to be the morning news anchor. And oh, by the way, you'll continue to do Chronicle. (laughs) I must have a sign on my back, Margaret, that says, please give me two jobs to do at the same time. I love doing two jobs. (laughs) So once again, I was working a gazillion hours. Finally, I shifted completely into the news department. I was probably on every newscast. And as you mentioned, when I finally did leave, I was on the 6 p.m. show, which Mm. was the number one rated newscast in the market. So all told, 28 years in the industry. But again, I felt like "Mm, there's something more. What else am I supposed to be doing? Mm. And so for the two years prior to when I actually left, I was quietly and confidentially talking to people in the community, leaders in the community. What does somebody like me do when you think you might wanna do something else? And it was always so entertaining to me because some people would say, well, I see you read the news every night. Trust me, it's more than just reading the news. But I had to find a way to learn their language. Mm. For example, breaking news to me It's kind of like crisis management in the corporate world, or being a project manager in the corporate world is sort of like being a reporter or a producer in television, two separate languages, but the skill sets cross over. And I kind of had narrowed it down to sort of three lanes. I could be some communications expert for a corporation, although I had no idea who or when I could maybe get more involved in the nonprofit world, or... I could start my business and I could teach people about presence and public speaking and storytelling and leadership and, oh, yes, media training as well. One of my mentors said to me, Liz, you're well-known, you're well-respected, you have credibility. That is value. Why would you give that value to somebody else? Launch your business. If in six months, nine months, you don't have any clients, you don't like it, you can always go do something else. You know what a kaleidoscope is? Click. Everything made sense. And I made in an instant that decision. I was going to do this. Now, Mm -hmm. I'd never, ever wanted to own my own business. Let me just start with that. (laughs) Never, ever, (laughs) ever wanted to own my own business. But I have come full circle when you think about it, because I was a teacher before. And now I'm a coach. And I feel like I'm in my fourth chapter. I was a high school music teacher. Mm -hmm. I worked in retail to pay the bills then i got into television and now i've been an entrepreneur for almost 9 years 9 years how did that happen and and i now i feel like i'm running four businesses because i have my coaching business i have my podcast which is live your best life with liz bruner i have my online learning platform which is bruneracademy.com and oh by the way yes i have my best selling book dare to own you taking your authenticity and dreams into your next chapter and that in and of itself is a business. So I've been pretty busy this last year or so.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, I have about a million things I want to dig into with you. There was so much that went into this incredible career that you are actively having. So I want to maybe start with the most recent transition and talk about that a little bit deeper. Cause you mentioned that it was about two years before you officially made the move that you started putting feelers out, confidentially reaching out to mentors and people that you trusted to try to figure out where do I fit? What prompted that? What kind of was the catalyst that got you to even start realizing maybe there's something
1: more for me? Maybe it's time to start exploring the next horizon. It was a couple of different things. One, organically, I was having Mm. that same feeling Mm. that I had in my first job as a high school music teacher. There's something more I'm supposed to be doing. And Mm. I think far too often we don't listen to that inner, still, quiet voice sometimes that says, you know what? Hello. Hello. (laughs) Hello. I'm here. And I began listening to it. Another piece of it was that the industry was changing dramatically when I started out many of our stories were five six minutes long now they were down to a minute and a half and many of the stories that I'm so privileged and honored to have done were major exclusives I interviewed President Barack Obama I've interviewed Oprah I've interviewed Barbara Walters I mean the list goes on celebrities professional athletes among other just everyday people who had these amazing exclusive stories, a double hand transplant, a face transplant. I mean, these were the stories that I got to do, but now they took a lot longer to get and put together. For example, it took me four years to get my interview with President Barack Obama, four years of persevering, (laughs) writing the White House and people making fun of me in the newsroom. There goes Liz again, she's writing the White House. Yeah, but when I got that interview, people were like, well, why is she going? Well, guess what? I'm the one who wrote the letters. So there was a lot of that where so much time was spent on getting those exclusive stories. And in some respects, I think the news department thought she's spending too much time on these things, mm. but they were great stories when they finally came through. The other piece, too, is that the men were getting older and the women were getting younger. Now, I never felt discrimination. However, when you're the only over 50 major female anchor on television in your market, you kind of start to think about that. You kind of start to think about it. So it was a culmination of all of those things that made me say, wow, what else could I do? I mean, Mm -hmm. I truly had no clue, Margaret, what I wanted to do. Certainly was not launched my business. And if you had said to me 10 years ago, Liz, guess what? You're going to have your own business and it's going to be successful. You're going to have a book. You're going to have a podcast. You're going to have an online platform. What do we said? What? No way. <laughs> <laughs> and yet here I am. Here I am.
0: Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And it's so interesting. And I think one of the things that I love about your exploration was in like even just that last comment about like 10 years ago, you never would have envisioned this Is that openness and willingness to say, like to almost start with a blank slate of like, I know I want more and I know I'm ready for, I'm ready for this change, but I'm not sure what it is. And then allowing yourself time and space to acquire information, because it sounds like even going back to when you were ending teaching and trying to figure out your next transition, like you have a lot of interests. You have a lot of things that you enjoy. Yes. And so I would imagine it, it's hard to figure out that what that is. So I love the process that you went through of like allowing that openness and that willingness to explore. And then in this case, after, you know, this 28-year career, tapping into these transferable skills. And I, I really love the exercise that you went through of how did you translate what you did to a more corporate language? And I, you know, I think there's such value in that because it's so easy with our skill set to kind of put ourselves in the box. Yes. And like, my skills are only valuable here. And I love how you thought about it, which was, how do I speak in their language, what I did and what a powerful way to kind of think about what are the skills that translate beautifully and give yourself credit for the skills that you have.
1: I think a lot of us kind of get stuck, as you said, in this box and uh, well, this is what I went to school for. So this is all I know how to do. Mm -hmm. No, the impetus for my book is a quote from my grandmother, which is no knowledge is ever wasted. Mm -hmm. No knowledge is ever wasted. No experience is ever wasted, good or bad, no matter what career chapters you have had, good or bad, even going so far back to when you maybe had a paper route or you were a babysitter or you played nurse or you played doctor or you, whatever. All of those things are important. And I believe if you're willing to step back Mm -hmm. and be, put yourself in a witness position of your life Mm -hmm. and you begin to see okay, I did this. These were my hobbies. These were my interests. What themes and patterns can you begin to see and recognize that are running through your life almost like a river? And can you connect those dots? And when you do, now you can begin to open your mind and give yourself permission, key, give yourself permission to look beyond the box, mm. to look beyond your skill set, because each and every one of us knows more than we think we know, and we have to be willing to explore that. We have to be willing to trust that no knowledge is ever wasted, mm. ever.
0: That's so profound. And I think about—I know my lens of of life, and so many of that I have talked to. It's that, especially when things are hard, it can feel very dire and frustrating and bleak. And so I think that that mantra, that belief that it can all be meaningful. And it also feeds into this idea of like, everyone's journey is going to be different and everyone brings unique experiences. And so I really love this idea of kind of looking at like every situation, every experience, every chapter of life, there are things to be gleaned and learned from this experience that can be utilized in the future. I think that's just so powerful and how amazing that that was something that your grandmother just talked about again and again.
1: And I didn't even realize how influential that quote was for me Hmm. Until I was actually in my business and I'm working with other clients on whether it's presence or sometimes even helping them figure out what some of their next chapters might be and Hmm. what else they might be good at. And it suddenly dawned on me, I was like, wait a minute, I've been connecting all these dots, whether consciously or unconsciously, my entire life. And the other thing that I think is so important, Margaret, and it's a quote by Robert Shuler, which is, what would you attempt to do if you knew you would not fail? Mm-hmm. What would any of us do if we knew we were going to be successful, if we knew we were not going to fail? But now there's a whole nother layer there of what is failure. Hmm. failure is just an experience of, okay, that didn't work. And now I learned what will and will not work. And <laughs> failure is not the enemy. It truly isn't. It's not learning the lesson that's the enemy. Yeah.
0: Gosh. Yes. Oh my goodness. I love that so much. And I, it's so funny because it, we almost have to be reminded of that. You know, it's like we do. I, I like to think, I do believe that, but it is, it's important. It's like that the failure is not learning from it. And in some ways, failing is so great because that means you pushed
1: yourself. Yes,
0: that You went outside of your comfort zone, which means you're growing.
1: You're Absolutely. Stretching. Absolutely. That's where we learn and grow. And I'll share an experience with you, which is that just three days ago, last Friday, today's Monday, today, last mm-hmm. Friday, I entered my very first ballroom dance competition. And talk about stretching yourself out of yeah. your comfort zone. I started taking ballroom dance lessons a year ago. It's something I always wanted to do and I did it. And so I was in two different divisions. One was called pre silver and then silver and in my age category and they kept getting it wrong. And I'm like, you gotta put me in my age category. I need every advantage I can get. (laughs) You're like, listen, I know I look younger, but please, (laughs) I I need to be in C1. Anyway, so I did did a cha-cha, a rumba, a swing, and a mambo in both of those, pre-silver and silver. And may I just share with you, I'm very proud of myself. I got five first place finishes and three second place finishes. And I'm just like, I can't believe I did this. I mean, I had the hair done, the makeup, the costume. I was petrified in the pre-silver run, which was the first one. I forgot everything, I forgot everything, <laughs> but I just kept going and thank God for my fantastic partner and instructor Andre Vitanko. But I pushed myself. Mm-hmm that's not a comfort zone. And you would think it wouldn't be with my musical background, but for some reason, like the brain going down to the feet doesn't want to work very well. (laughs) Oh,
0: congratulations. You know what I love about that too, is that it's interesting because this podcast, you know, the conversations it's, I talk to career driven women and so it can very easily center around career. And I think it's such a great reminder that not all growth has to come in your profession not all areas of like where you're devoting energy to has to be in your profession sometimes in this case like stretching yourself pushing yourself going outside your comfort zone comes in a totally different arena so i'd love that example for so many reasons
1: because we're multi-dimensional as human beings well Believe it or not, ballroom dancing to do it well is really, really hard. I have learned and it was pushing me. It was pushing my brain. It was pushing my memory. It was pushing my body. It was pushing everything. And I learned the one of the reasons that I wanted to do it was I felt like there was this authenticity on the inside Mm -hmm. that I just needed to express on the outside. And I was talking with my youngest brother over the weekend, and I said, I'm trying to, I had so much fun at this competition, more than I thought I was going to. I I didn't know what to expect, to be honest. But I was asking myself, okay, why was it so much fun? And it was Mm -hmm. fun for a number of reasons. One, I haven't done a lot of performing in a long time, Mm -hmm. whether it's been singing or whatever. So this was a performing outlet. I'm also pretty competitive and I haven't really done anything too competitive since leaving television when you're, you're rated every 15 minutes on the nightly news, talk about competition. And so, yeah, there's a piece of me that's competitive, but I also felt like it was such a creative outlet of allowing that authenticity. My favorite show is Dancing with the Stars. And what Mm -hmm. I love about it, besides the beautiful dancing, is the transformation
0: that Mm. happens
1: with the contestants. And I can relate to that so much, not only personally, but it's because that's the work I do. That's the work, some of the work you do. When we're helping people transform their lives, it is the most wonderful, powerful feeling in the world to see that transformation. And then when they recognize it, when they own that transformation, wow, it's powerful.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, I want to sit here for a minute because there's some really interesting things you're talking about. And, you know, you started it by saying that you had authenticity on the inside that you wanted to express on the outside. And I'm very, again, very intrigued by I would imagine there was something where like, again, something felt like it was missing. Like you mentioned, like you had this competitive side that hadn't really come out and you, you know, this performer side, Will you tell us a little bit about that process of like kind of understanding what was trying to come out or what you wanted to honor that, you know, you wanted to kind of put out into the
1: world. Well, I don't think I was able to put words of performing and creative and competitive until this past weekend after I was telling my brother, why did I enjoy this so much? He's like, well, you're a performer and you're there. I'm like, oh, you know, sometimes coaches need another coach to totally kind kind of put the lens on. But I think also it's, you know, when your own life is transforming for whatever reason. And if you're, again, if you're willing to listen to that voice. I knew that there was something that I wanted to express. I knew that there was something that I I just wanted to feel. Mm. And so to be able to acknowledge it and find a way to use that energy, and the physical aspect of it, it's just been so wonderful and so healing mm. in so many ways. And I've, I've had so much fun. I could go to my lesson and kind of be like, oh my God, you know, all this stuff, all this stressors going on. And I get there and I laugh through my entire lesson, but thank God because my instructor is so patient with me. But <laughs> if I didn't laugh, I'd be crying. Truly, <laughs> it, it really is about just opening yourself up. And how often do we not do that? I do think that COVID, the pandemic, I have a theory. First of all, I don't think the pandemic's a coincidence of happening in 2020. Now think about those numbers, 2020, prior to the pandemic, 2020, oh, I've got perfect eye vision. I'm going to the eye doctor. I'm looking at that big E on the wall. And okay, what's the smallest line I can read showing that I have 2020 vision? Aha, the pandemic forced many of us to look at our lives And really ask ourselves, are we living our best life? Are we living our purpose? Are we living our values, our priorities? And think about how many people left their jobs, the Great Recession, how many people changed relationships, renovated their houses, got pets. (laughs) We all began to really look at our lives, which is fantastic. And so for me, looking at my life, I was like, I want to do this. And so as soon as I was vaccinated last summer, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I had done one story with Tony Dovolani from Dancing with the Stars many years ago when I was still on the air. And I vowed back then, however many years ago it was now, I'm going to do this someday. And last summer was the someday I did it.
0: Good for you. That's amazing. And the other thing I wanted to just call out in case anyone missed it was, I think what was so powerful that I love is the epiphany of understanding why it meant so much to you. I love the reflection. And I think that's such a great, Habit of whenever you know this was like the culmination of, of of over a year of work, and you were exhilarated by it, and taking time to actually unpack it and understand why, what it was that. Much like when something is like really angering us or really frustrating us, and taking time to be like, interesting, yes. what is that? And I think we can learn so much if we just give a little bit of time and space for the reflection. So I just wanted to call that out because I think that is so powerful of like now you have words to articulate why it means so much yes. to you you know it means
1: something to you but why it means why? So much to you and i don't think many of us take the time again to reflect i'm mm. i'm a big journal person i've been journaling for 40 plus years Yeah. And it's all very stream of consciousness for me. It's not like, okay, I'm going to write beautiful prose. No, I just start writing and whatever comes to my mind, it doesn't even matter if it's spelled correct. It doesn't matter. I just keep writing. But one of the things that was very important to me in the book, and you know this from having read it at the end of every chapter is a little Mm -hmm. section called time to reflect. Mm -hmm. And that is so important to me. I want people to give themselves permission I want people to take the time to reflect. I want them to take the time to be that honest with themselves. They don't have to share with anybody else, but just be willing to go there. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's pretty damn scary to go there. Yes. Sometimes it's pretty damn scary, but you know what? If you're scared, then you're touching on something that's really important Mm -hmm. and you need to pay attention to that. That's such a beautiful point.
0: I'm going to transition us back a little bit because there was something when we, you first were telling us about your career that I am so intrigued by, which is when you were looking for more and you were doing all this exploration, you were testing out, you know, exploring these different roles. How did you land on television?
1: Well, because I had done one television commercial when I was Miss Illinois for the Pontiac Grand Prix. And I don't (laughs) think I ever saw the commercial. It may never have even made air. Uh, It was my favorite car at the time. So I was pretty happy about that. But I thought, hmm, that was kind of fun. Interesting. I, I, I wonder if there's something I could do in television. I had no clue whether or not I thought I wanted to do public relations. I really did not know, Margaret. I really have no clue, but I thought, I just wonder. And when I was reading that book, Who's Hiring Who by Richard Lathrop and he talked about informational interviews, I thought, what have I got to lose but ask? We're so sometimes paranoid of asking and I'm even pushing myself these days to (laughs) still ask. Ask for more, ask for what you want, ask for what you need, Mm. ask questions, ask for advice, ask someone to be a mentor ask yes in fact jack canfield who did the forward for my book he has many many books as you know from chicken soup for the soul series but he also has the success principles and number 17 is to ask Mm -hmm. and after he had been a podcast guest with me and then subsequently patty aubrey who's wonderful also and she's the president of his jack canfield training group and patty said you need to ask jack to do the forward for your book i'm like what I I was thinking of maybe asking him to endorse it. She said, no, ask him to do the foreword. I was like, uh, okay. And so I bravely reached out to him and I said, would you consider? Mm -hmm. And he said, I will consider. However, I have to read it beforehand. I'm not going to put my name on something because it's my reputation. I'm like, of course, I want you to read it. Of course, I want you to read it. Yes, please. I wouldn't want you to do anything (laughs) without it. And the day that I got his email back saying, congratulations on writing a great book, here's the foreword, I was just, whoa, had I not been brave enough to ask, mm. had I not been brave enough to reach out to those two television stations early on to say, does what I think I want to do even exist? Do I have to go back to school? It was a knowledge-seeking informational interview. Right. Right but somebody saw something in me and gave me a chance Mm -hmm. gave me a chance
0: yes i love that it's so easy to get caught up in our head Mm -hmm. and we have all these great thoughts and we have all these great ideas but sometimes if they never come out (laughs) then nobody nobody knows and so i you know i do i think there's such power in just making the ask and in this case i really love the idea of an informational interview. And I really don't think it's utilized enough because it is such a gentle way to say, I'm very curious if you could tell me about it. And then, but it's also an opportunity to showcase who you are. And, but it's, you know, if nothing else, you get information. So I, I really love
1: just, I think the concept of that, and I think it takes a lot of pressure off. It does, and but you have to be very judicious about how you do those informational interviews. Mm-hmm. The first piece is that go in with questions, not that you're looking for a job from somebody. If that ultimately happens, so be it. Great. But you're really kind of seeking information. Mm-hmm. And one of the other things that one of my mentors said to me when I was first initially doing these informational interviews, now we're talking round two, when I was getting ready to leave my third television station, in those two years, he said to me, Liz, make a list of five to 10 people that you think would be really important to talk to, that you can connect with on some level. And fortunately, because I had been fairly well known in this community, I had pretty easy access to a lot of people, which is great. But then for those that I didn't have access to, once I established a relationship with someone, Mm -hmm. I would ask them two questions. Number one, Who else should I be talking to? And more importantly, number two, will you connect me? Yes.
0: Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. I think that's another big thing. And I see this theme on this podcast with women like you that are extraordinary, that have really kind of found a way to live as the fullest, most authentic version of themselves. And they are very proficient networkers, but to be a proficient networker, it's that ask, it's the willingness to ask. And, and it's not just enough to know people, but more so. And I love that question too of, you know, who else should I know? Like, you don't have to have all the answers.
1: Oh, God. I don't have all the answers. I'm still <laughs> learning. You right. know, somebody, somebody recently asked me, you know, how are you successful? I said, I'm surrounding myself with lots of good people. Number one. Number two, I'm constantly learning. Yes. I'm constantly yeah. learning. I'm always a student. I may be a teacher, but I'm also always a student. Yes. Yes.
0: I think, I think it's a dangerous, a dangerous place to think that someday you will have learned it all. <laughs> I wish <laughs> I, know. I used to have that dream. I, I had that with parenting where I used to think like, okay, well, when my kid gets potty trained, it'll get better. And then when they do this, it'll get better. And I realized like, no, no, every chapter has the beautiful moments and the challenging moments. And there is no destination. It's just the journey. It's just the journey. Exactly. It's yeah. It's just the journey. Oh my gosh. Okay. So that's really helpful. And then I know for your second station that you worked at, you were recruited there.
1: Yes. yes. So I'm
0: I'm, I'm not knowing this world. How did that come to be? Was there something that you were doing that allowed you
1: to be visible to be recruited? You know, it's interesting because I didn't have an agent yet at that time, Mm -hmm. but I remember picking up the phone and answering it. Hello, this is Liz Bruner. And this man says, this is Clarence McKee. I own the station. I'm the, you know, own the station in Tampa, Florida. I think you should come work for us. I'm like, uh, who are you? Right. And you're in (laughs) Illinois at this time. I'm in Illinois. Correct. Oh my gosh. I have no idea. I mean, I probably, if I thought about it long enough, I could go back and go, okay, that's why he learned about me, but I truly do not know how he found out about me. And so I went
0: That's incredible. Oh my gosh. So you mentioned in that role that you were community relations director. This was your first upper
1: management position.
0: Tell us a little bit about that as far as being the only.
1: (laughs) The only female in upper management trying to push through the glass ceiling, having all these limiting beliefs and Mm -hmm. fears of imposter syndrome. They're going to find out. I don't know how to be a manager. They're going to find out. I have no idea what I'm doing. They're going to find out. They're going to find out. They're going to find out. Mm. I mean, I truly had a lot of imposter syndrome. I did a lot of listening Mm. when I was in meetings. I did, you know, and I only commented when I really knew I had something to say, but then that becomes the challenge also of sometimes, particularly women are so afraid to say anything, they don't say anything, which is not the right approach either. And so I had to work through a lot of those limiting beliefs and that sort of imposter syndrome of feeling like i don't belong here i had a curiosity
0: for you how did you start to find a voice where you could speak more like because that is i mean i have lived that myself personally and it's it's like a form of torture especially once you become aware of what's happening and you still can't stop yourself from doing it. So, I mean, were there, were there any things that you did or like mindset shifts that happened that allowed you to start, you know, being more vocal and and not being more of an observer? Well, first
1: of all, the most important story that we will ever tell ourselves Mm. is the one we tell ourselves.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. And so it starts there. Mm -hmm. But as I said, a moment ago, I did a lot of listening. I did a lot of observing, I'm a quick student of human nature, which is what made me be a successful journalist. It's also what makes me be a successful coach because I'm such a good student of human nature. And because I'm willing to learn, I'm willing to grow, I'm willing to observe, that helped me gain confidence. And they were also nurturing in many respects as well, even though they were all a group of older men, that's all I'll say. (laughs) But I mean, You know, I also, I think you're gonna laugh when I say this, but I grew up with three younger brothers. And in many respects, I have always had better, easier relationships with men than I have had with women. And I talk a little bit about that in the book of just how much I struggled with women and them being jealous and intimidated and who knows whatever word you want to put on it so because i've always dealt with a lot of men growing up with three brothers it was just very easy for me to know how to deal with them and to work with them and i think that's a really important piece for me at least Mm -hmm. that helped me continue to move the dial forward along with everything else yeah this
0: stood out to me in the book i remember reading about it and It made my heart sad as far as, you know, what I saw at least, or what I interpreted in reading it was that your light is very bright. You are, when somebody looks at you and everything you've accomplished, everything you've achieved, even just, I think physically, right. You could be intimidating if somebody is insecure because you're very articulate. You're very quick learner to your points. You can do a lot of things at a very high level, How have you managed to not let others make you feel a certain way, or maybe be judgmental or or catty in, you know, with some women, how have you not allowed them to shrink you, to make you make yourself smaller? Because you are big, you have a very, you are, you can fill a room. That's very clear, but typically those types of people are the most likely to get attacked by those who want to make them
1: smaller because you make them feel worse about themselves. I think I did make myself small in Mm. many different arenas and I didn't own as much of myself as I am now. Mm. And I didn't have the confidence that I have now. And it's not that I wasn't authentic. It's not that I wasn't confident, Sure. but I really, really struggled. And thank you for all those lovely things that you said. But when, when somebody hears, a description such as what you just shared with people, there might be a perception that, oh, she's had it so easy. Or, oh, everything's been handed to her on a silver platter. Oh, she doesn't have shit going on in her life. Well, guess what? I have. And I have stuff that happens. I've had horrible things that have happened and I've had many obstacles that I have had to overcome. Mm -hmm. And again, how can we rise above what strength can we tap into? And I'm such a firm believer about tapping into that inner strength. I do have a strong faith. I do believe in God. I do believe in a higher power. And I practice that in my life. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy because it's not been, but I am also someone who's a hard worker. I push myself and I'm willing to try to be my best self, whatever that is. And that's one of the things that I love about working with people is my whole vision for my life today, both personally and professionally, is I want to teach, I want to motivate, I want to inspire people to live their best life, whatever that means for them. Mm -hmm. And everybody has a different definition of what their best life looks like or feels like, and that's okay.
0: Right. And I think that's the best thing, right? It's like, that we're all so unique and different. And so I think it's such a great call out of not oversimplifying someone and their success. And sometimes we do this to our detriment where we do it and we look at them and we're like, Oh, I could never be them because we see the end product. We don't see everything that led there. And then in other cases, we, you know, we, I, I do not do this, but like, it's easy to try to diminish somebody because you're like, Oh, well, everything they have, like they, it's just things have been easy for them. And I, I love that you call that out. And I think that's so, that's so important. It's such a good reminder for any of us to catch ourselves when we hear that thought coming in of like, we don't know the full story and yeah. assumptions are very dangerous. And so, you know, instead what we see is the end product is probably a
1: lot of work that went into it. Yeah. There's a lot of layers beneath yes. all of this. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, somebody recently asked me, you know, About authenticity and vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And vulnerability is not wearing your heart on your sleeve for the world to see everything that you're going through. No, vulnerability is being able to share stories about your life. We all have life stories with the people who have earned the right to hear those stories. So while I've shared a lot of stories in my book, Dare to Own You, I haven't shared everything. I don't need to share everything, but there's enough there that I hope people will say, wow, I can relate to something like that. Wow, that's how Liz chose to kind of rise above it. Maybe I can do that. And that's the whole reason why I wrote this book, which is that if I can do it, anybody can, whether it's if I can rise above the challenges If I can have these different career transitions, guess what? Anybody can. We just have to try. And I've always had the mantra, just because I've never done something doesn't mean I can't.
0: I just have to try. Right. Right. Well, and I think what you've demonstrated is like, it's that whole kind of turning inward and understanding who am I, what lights me up, what are my skills, what is my experience and how do I use that to inform what I want to seek out so I can do anything. And how do I leverage living, you know, and again, I keep saying honoring, but honoring, like, what am I really great at? And, and that's right. kind of, you can't really go wrong when that's your compass.
1: Exactly. And that's yeah. what also authenticity is about. Yeah. That was the other piece of the equation. Authenticity is living out your core values. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if you're living out your core values, then there's no question about how you're going to behave.
0: Right. You know, you mentioned that you'd been through challenging times. And I know the pandemic has been something you're very grateful for, but also really was a very challenging time for you and your business. I mean, at this point, you were almost seven years in, but I mean, you were a large part of it was. Coaching and public speaking. So tell will you tell us a little bit about that specific challenging event
1: of how you had to pivot your business in 2020? Well, prior to the pandemic, 95% of my business was done all in person. I was Mm. on a plane crisscrossing the country every single week, working with clients one-on-one, facilitating workshops, keynote speaking, and you know, for large organizations and doing presentations. And suddenly, when the pandemic hit, and it was March of 2020, I believe, and I had things lined up all the way through June on my calendar, and one by one, bam, all gone, Mm -hmm. all gone. And now I'm thinking, oh my gosh, how do I, first of all, try to work with my clients, and many of them fell off the radar. They said, we have to take care of our people first. We can't afford coaching right now. It's more important that we keep our people on staff as opposed to coaching. I'm like, I get it. Then once clients started coming back, I had to figure out how am I gonna pivot and teach people over Zoom? And you can, but it's a whole nother learning curve, Mm -hmm. not only for me, but for them. And for that whole year of 2020, until the month of December, I did not pay myself. Hmm. Mistake number one is an entrepreneur, you must pay yourself, <laughs> even if it's a tiny, tiny, tiny amount, if $1, you must pay yourself. Because when it came time, I felt it was more important to pay my people to hmm. keep them helping things running and just trying to generate business than it was to pay myself. But as a result, when I applied for PPP funding, I initially was denied. The bank kept saying, no matter how much documentation I gave them, they said, well, you're not in business because you didn't pay yourself. I said, but, but, but no, I, no matter what I did, they kept saying, well, you're not in business. Even though I was sending out invoices, I just wasn't paying myself. So lesson learned, pay yourself <laughs> something, okay? <laughs> I finally ultimately did get a small PPP, thank God. But it wasn't until 2021 that I got that. It was like the second round of stuff. And I really didn't know if I was even gonna be able to keep my business alive. And that was pretty scary. Sure, It was very, very scary, but you know what? I'm not the only one, Margaret. There were plenty of people who had to learn how to pivot. There were plenty of people who thought their businesses were gonna go under. And you know what? You become resourceful, Mm -hmm. you become resilient and you find a way, Mm -hmm. you find a way. Yeah, I did. Yeah, you did. And I mean, that's where your online learning came from So I mean, a whole segment of your business now exists as a result of this. Exactly. And what Mm -hmm. was interesting about that story too, is that people often ask me, well, when did you start writing your book? I said, well, I started (laughs) writing it in the summer of 2019. And I felt like I was going off course. Mm -hmm. So after a few chapters, so I stopped writing. Hmm. stopped writing. Now, what's interesting is that off course section of content actually became the template for my flagship public speaking course, how to be a rockstar public speaker on bruneracademy.com. No <laughs> knowledge, no experience is ever wasted. Right. And then in the end of 2020, my business coach you know said i want to see the course i said it's really great it turned out really well she goes it might be an ebook i said really she says you know i co-own a publishing company i said how did i not know that <laughs> so she said i'd i'd like to read it will you transcribe it i said michelle i wrote it i'll just send you the script <laughs> so i sent them to her then i think it was january after the holiday she said this is a really great course but it reads like a course. I said, I wrote it like a course She goes, it really wouldn't probably be a, a book. And I said, well, I have this other stuff that was before that stuff, a couple of chapters. May I just send it to you? And you can tell me if it's crap. You can tell me, Liz, this, mm-hmm. there's no book here. Margaret, I sent those first early chapters to her and she said, now this mm-hmm. is the makings of a great book. And we have a program at Grace Point Publishing. You'll get a a writing coach. You'll get an editor. We'll do your artwork for you. I signed up that night because all of a sudden, again, another kaleidoscope moment. I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do right now. So the middle of April of 2021, I started with my writing coach and I sent her those very few early chapters, which were petrifying to me to send her. I'm like, I don't know if this is any good, even though Michelle says it is. (laughs) and she said oh my gosh I want to know more about this I want to know more about that keep writing I said you do I kept writing and by the end of July I'd finished the manuscript
0: I love that and you know what's so cool about hearing that is that I've noticed this theme of like get started So oftentimes, you know, people uh, it's interesting. I, I hear the phrase, I was lucky a lot and it drives me bonkers because there are, yes, there are times where it is, but largely if you dig in on it, it's something was started and opportunity met preparation, right? That's the The definition of luck. And I, I think what's so neat about this story is that this was something that you had started. And so when you had put other content out there, right. And then it started a conversation and you had this book that was just sitting there kind of waiting in the wings when, so when you were asked about it, you had something to send. You didn't have to start from scratch. And again, it's just, you could probably never have predicted that that was how this book would come to be.
1: Absolutely. No. I mean, people were telling me for years, Liz, you should write a book. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe, I don't know what I'd write about. Right. But the more I wrote Margaret, the more came to me. And again, I truly felt like it was divine mm. content, just, just like downloads coming. And I, I, I would wake up in the middle of the night. I'm like, oh my God, I got to write this down right now. Or yes. I'd be walking over to the Charles River because I live in Boston and I would get inspiration. I mean, I literally, it came from everywhere unexpectedly. It just came. I was ready to write it. I really was ready yeah. to write it. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I just think
0: that's so beautiful. And it's also, again, an openness and willingness to, to doing something, you oh. know, and at the right time, you know, for you and really
1: leaning into it when the opportunity presented itself. It was scary. Yeah. Okay. To be that vulnerable and that authentic in this book was sure. really scary. And there were times when I had tears running down my cheek. I'm like, I don't know if I should be putting this into the book. I don't know if I should be doing this. And I just said, keep writing, Liz, keep writing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such an important piece, whether it's doing an online course, whether it's writing a book, whatever it is, just start, do one thing. You may not feel ready to do anything. You may not know all the answers and that's okay. Just do one, make the commitment to do one thing, one step at a time, one step at a time. Yeah,
0: that's, oh, yes, yes. I don't know if you watch, have watched any, either of the Frozen's.
1: came no, no. <laughs> <laughs> with all your little ones, I think. Right. Oh
0: my gosh. Well, you know, it's so interesting because that came out in frozen two came out in 2020. And I, at the time our daughter was three and became obsessed with it like many other little kids, but there's a part where it seems like all hope is lost. Yes. And Anna is literally in the pit of a cave in darkness. And she has just lost her Olaf. And what I love about this song is it's all it's it, like the message was so, I mean, just talk about right time, you know, with everything going on in the pandemic. And it was all about just do the next best thing. Yeah. All you have to do is just focus on the next best thing. And so I love that. It's like if you can just one thing, one just thing. Don't worry about how all the steps are going to come together. Just one
1: thing. Then the next best thing, then the next thing. I mean, thing. do we all want to know what the end result is going to be? Do we all want to know the path? Of course we do. Oh you know, my god! But that's part of the learning. That's part of stretching out of our comfort zone of saying, okay, I may not know what this will ultimately look like or how, I'm, or I may have a vision or, you know, a wish. What I do need to do to turn it into the dream and make it reality is I just need to keep taking one step forward. Right, Just one step forward towards that, that dream. You know, you've talked a lot about authenticity
0: and, you know, one thing that's really, really incredible about you is that you're really great at leveraging, you know, your community, your mentors to help you as you're kind of planning out next steps or thinking about, you know, things you want to take on. What I'm really curious about is, you know, sometimes not all advice is good advice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not all advice is helpful advice. And as somebody who it sounds like draws tremendous value from just putting ideas out there and and asking questions and, and asking people, how do you kind of filter out advice that is helpful versus advice that kind of feels disconnected from who you
1: are? Well, first of all, you do have to listen to yourself and go, you know, that resonates with me or that doesn't. And I mm-hmm. there's a story in the book, mm-hmm. as you remember, with Charlie Gibson, where I was to interview him. He was the co-host on Good Morning America. And this was the first time that I was going to ABC in New York and to Good Morning America is the first time I was going to be meeting Charlie Gibson, who I adored mm-hmm. and admired and respected. And I asked a friend of mine who was a network sports anchor, I was like, how do I, you know, what should I do? How should I, how should I connect with him? How should I talk to him? You know, and I was just nervous and he gave me some advice, which didn't really feel right to me, but I thought, well, he's the national sports anchor. He must know more than me. And I went with it and I felt like I bombed Mm with my opening comments, even Charlie kind of gave me a funny, awkward look. I'm like, oh man, did I screw up? And I just had to figure out how am I gonna pick my face up off the floor and keep going here? And I did, but it was certainly a lesson Mm. in trusting your own gut, Mm -hmm. trusting your Mm. instincts. And sometimes it's very hard to sift through the noise of what is fear and Mm. what is intuition. I was afraid that I didn't know, I didn't trust myself enough to say, Liz, you're going to figure this out. Just be you. Just be you. And if you're just you, you're going to be fine talking to Charlie Gibson. But that's not what I did. Now, I did do that when I talked to President Barack Obama. (laughs) I kept telling myself, Liz, just be you, just be you and enjoy this day. Enjoy this day. I mean, how often does someone, doesn't matter your politics, but how often does someone get to speak to a sitting president? I and by golly, I was going to enjoy every second of that interview and every second I was at the White House.
0: <laughs> and I mean, you mentioned it in passing, but like four years yes. for that moment,
1: that you yes. worked so
0: hard for that moment.
1: So I was writing, back then, there was just a generic media office email, no name, no nothing. And I was writing, hello, I'm Liz Bruner from WCBP, blah blah blah. And I would never get a response. Yeah. I never got a response. Finally, four years in, I did get a response. This was the beginning of his second term. And it came from a gentleman who worked in the media office, who saw my email, who recognized me because he had been in the Boston market. And he wrote back and he said, hey, Liz, yes, I see your email here about doing an interview. Let's see if we can make this happen. I was like, oh! <laughs> I mean, I was so excited. I was like, oh, my gosh. And literally, I don't know what the time frame is now, but it happened so fast after that. And, you know, you have to go through all these security clearances and, you know, crazy stuff to make it happen. But by golly, it did. That's amazing. Perseverance. Yes, (laughs) yes, yes, exactly. Sometimes it's not always gonna
0: be on that first try, but again- We never gave up. No, and people
1: would say, oh, there goes Liz, she's right in the White House again. Like, yeah, well, okay. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. Right, (laughs)
0: exactly. I had Um, nothing to lose
1: other than a few minutes of sending off another email. (laughs) Right, right, but there was a whole heck of a lot to gain. Exactly.
0: Well, I know we're winding down, but you said something and I wanted to come back to it and, and ask you about it, which was when you were talking about how you distinguish between fear and intuition, do you have any suggestions of how do you kind of parse out? Like that's the inner critic talking. It's just trying to scare you versus dial up the inner champion and that intuition that's trying to tell you. Something. So how do you separate out fear and intuition?
1: I think the only way that you can do that, Margaret, is you truly have to get quiet. Mm. You have to get quiet and step back and say, what am I afraid of here? I'll use my own example of when I was thinking about leaving television and starting my business when I was petrified to do so. Mm. And I knew that that was fear talking. Mm. And I said to myself, if fear is the only reason that I'm thinking of not doing this, that was simply not a good enough reason. That was not a good enough reason. And when I was quietly cleaning off the shelves of my office, once I'd made the decision, once it was like, I'm gonna start my business. And I was just going through old tapes that were on my shelf. I came across a tape from a woman who, it was her sizzle reel. And she had wanted me to take a look at it. She, at that time, was a reporter in Florida from Boston, wanted to get back to the Boston market. Would I critique her tape? Hmm. I didn't know I still had that tape, nor did I know that I still had my two or three page single spaced critique attached with a rubber band to the tape. (laughs) And when I saw that tape and when I opened up my critiques, my comments, I had an aha moment which was, I've been doing this already. I've already been a coach. I've already been a mentor. I've already been helping people move the dial. That is intuition. And I knew I was making the right decision. Mm -hmm. So if fear is the only thing standing in your way, that's not a good enough reason. Thank
0: you for elaborating. And that's
1: so powerful. I've got little goosebumps prickling up here.
0: I always close with the same question which is I love to ask. And it's always so I'm going to probably need to get a better question because I feel like throughout the entire podcast, so much is gleaned, (laughs) but I'm going to ask it anyways. Throughout your career, if there was something that you have either learned along the way that has served you really well, and it can be something we've already talked about that you just really want to make sure that somebody listening, like no matter what you hear this, and you walk away with it, or it could be, a piece of advice that has served you really well which we know your grandmother's advice but if there's that one thing that you really
1: either want to re-emphasize or something that maybe we haven't talked about what would that be i don't know if it's something we've not talked about but i do think there are three things that bear repeating number one you know more than you think you know and you need to trust that number two if i can do this anybody can i'm not saying it's going to be easy but if i can make these transitions in my life, I'm willing to take that chance. So can anybody. You just have to give yourself permission to do so Mm -hmm. and turn those dreams into reality. Mm -hmm. That's number three. And, you know, I just, I feel so blessed that A, I had a chance to write this book and share a lot of those principles and philosophies in it and to be able to share it with the world If it can help anybody, if I'm able to teach, motivate, inspire someone to live their best life as a result of my book or my podcast or coaching, or even my, Mm -hmm. my online learning classes on bruneracademy.com, that's my goal. That's my goal. Mm -hmm. And to, for each one of us to be willing to just listen to that small voice, Mm -hmm. listen to Uh that voice. Oh my gosh. Liz, thank you
0: so much for being on Rising Tide. This has just been such a wonderful time with you and just love the work that you're doing. And thank you for all that you're giving back to help
1: others really kind of live their most authentic and fullest lives. And I appreciate you taking the time first to read my book. Secondly, to have me on your show and third, for the work that you're doing in helping raise women up. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you. So thanks for the opportunity. What an incredible
0: opportunity to get to sit down with Liz and learn about all of these incredible insights that she has gleaned and shared with us and distilled down in her book. I've linked everything for you that we referenced on this call and be sure to reach out to Liz if this episode really spoke to you and let her know. I want to say thank you to Josh Reedford for the amazing editing on this podcast. He always does such a phenomenal job. And I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for being here and being part of this community. If you enjoy this episode, please take a moment and leave us a review. And as always, until next week, keep rising.